when we submit, we do good things, right? Because the empowering Holy Spirit is going to take over. So that when we obey the Spirit, when we obey the Word, that is going to be when we, in this progressive sanctification, are growing. Welcome to The Rap Report with your host, Andrew Rappaport, where we provide biblical interpretation and application. This is a ministry of striving for eternity and the Christian podcast community. For more content or to request a speaker for your church, go to strivingforeternity.org. Well, welcome to another edition of The Rap Report. I'm your host, Andrew Rappaport, the Executive Director of Striving for Eternity and the Christian Podcast Community, of which this podcast is a proud member. I'm joined this week again by some other, well, I hope they're proud members, but we'll find out, of the Christian podcast community. They are from the podcast Religionless Christianity. And Spencer and Nikki, welcome again. Hi, thank you for having us again. <laughs> yes, we are blessed to be here with you again today. And we are certainly very proud members of the Christian podcast community. <laughs> we actually prayed before we came on here and Every time before we do an episode, we pray that God would open up new ministry opportunities to us because, you know, just through the podcast or whatever. And we're like, well, this is one of them, Andrew, discipleship and opportunities to, you know, co-host. So certainly blessed. Yep. You do jail ministry. And the thing I'm always confused with is like for some, for some people, like I'm amazed they let people out after you go in to visit, you know, you must have a pretty good record. They let you out and not like, oh, you know Spencer, you 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 belong here more regularly. <laughs> yeah, if they looked a little closer, they might uh, just keep me in there. But <laughs> thank God we're not bound by our past. Give us time that we're all going to be doing prison ministry just because we're Christians. So give it time. Give it time. You're just ahead of the curve, getting the lay of the land before it's permanent. <laughs> I'm getting to know all the lunch ladies and the haircut, and the, the barbers. So I'll have the inside scoop when we get there. Uh, <laughs> Well, today's topic, we're going to continue in our topic of sanctification. This is part two from last week. Encourage you guys, if you didn't listen to last week, it is going to be one where this week we're building off of a lot of what we talked about last week. So it is important to go back to that one and re-listen. There is a link in the show notes if you want to go and do that, but encourage you to, to follow the podcast so that they all download for you and you don't miss a single one, because I know none of you want to miss any of the brilliance of the co-hosts. Yes, I get it. <laughs> so <laughs> I realize that's what everyone's really listening for, right? So <laughs> what we want to do is we're in this series called What We Believe, and this is from the doctrinal statement at strivingfraternity.org. And you can follow along with us, go to strivingfraternity.org. Click on the About section under there. Click What We Believe. Scroll down to where you see Soteriology, which is the doctrine of salvation. Expand that out, and you'll look down and see it says Sanctification. We're in the second paragraph, and we are halfway through that paragraph. So as a good podcaster, I will give you guys a little bit of review. <laughs> <laughs> just in case you didn't go back and re-listen, and then we're going to jump into some new material. But before Nikki reads this, this is a really important area of study because one thing that we've said, when we, especially when we looked at the doctrine of regeneration, we talked about how the cults 
confuse regeneration with sanctification. And that is how every man-made religion that believes in the, the Bible, at least the New Testament, will add works into salvation. What they're doing is talking sanctification. So if you're evangelizing, if you're talking to someone from another religion, you need to know the distinction between sanctification and regeneration. And that's why we're spending the time to make sure it's really clear. I'm down here in Florida. I was witnessing to a Catholic couple. And one of the things is they're saying, well, it's all works, 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 works. And I said, but that's not how we're saved. And they started to see that, yes, they understood that the Bible teaches were saved by what Christ did alone. And they agreed that adding works is man-made, but they said, but there's all these works we do. And I had to try to explain that's sanctification. So when they jump to James chapter two, that's our sanctification, not our regeneration. And when you understand that, that difference between sanctification and regeneration, it helps with speaking to people that have a man-made religion. So it's really important to understand this distinction. That's why we're taking the time. This precision is not because we want to show, oh, look how much we study. No, we want you as a listener to be able to know and see the difference between these issues when you come across them, when you talk to someone about them. And what you're going to see, we're going to focus on in today's episode, as we did in last week's episode, is when we speak specifically of sanctification, we drill down there and we get into two different types of sanctification that people get confused with. One is positional sanctification and the other is progressive sanctification. So positional sanctification is this idea that once we are regenerated, we have a position before God of being sanctified, of being holy. That's an immediate thing. And yet, what do you and I experience? If we're believers, what we experience is this progressional sanctification where we're still being made more and more in the image of Christ. God keeps working on us. I know Spencer and Nikki, he doesn't have to do as much work as he does with me. I get it. I get it. But I kind of think it this way. I think what that means is, you know, God just loves me more. He has to work, do more work on, with me than you know, Spencer and Nikki, right? <laughs> or maybe it's the shameful thing that he has far less grand plans for us than he does for you. He's like, yeah, you got a podcast. That's good enough. You're sanctified enough for a podcast. You've got a calling maybe. That's the, <laughs> who knows. But I did have a question there and I guess it's kind of subjective, but in your opinion, you know, as far as when it comes to sharing with people, about this idea of sanctification, which one do you find to be more of a stumbling block for them? Because I know, you know, you mentioned I do the jail ministry and I'm going there tonight and thank you for this opportunity because last week I talked to them about justification and I'm going to go there and talk to them about sanctification. And I know in the jail ministry, the positional sanctification, they seem to really struggle with that. There's no way I'm a saint. Do you know what I've done to get here? Mm. And to try to help them understand that. Whereas maybe somebody on the outside in a church, whatever happens to be, they may struggle with this lifelong progression. I'm just curious what you think. Well, I think that you hinted on it, but the positional sanctification, I think is more difficult, not just for guys in jail, for any of us, 
to really rat, rattle our minds with. It is why so many Christians, they struggle with the, their past sin. It's that struggle because it's like, oh, look what I've done. And this is what really what I think holds a lot of Christians back. We talked about this a little bit last week too. It holds people back because we don't realize we are saints in God's sight. It doesn't mean we go and do whatever we want. We can go sin all we want. If that's someone's view, that shows that they really don't understand it. It's the fact that we are amazed that God would have anything to do with us. And because of that, we can sit and just be like, God has made me holy, made me a saint. I don't deserve this. It should blow our minds in a good way. But it's hard because positional sanctification is really sanctification from God's point of view. And with God, everything's already done in his mind, right? Because he knows the future as if it was this moment. He's got a perfect knowledge, and therefore he knows exactly the outcomes of everything. And I think that really is difficult for you and I. Progressive sanctification we get, right? We could see that daily change. You guys have you know, children, and you can see that even in your kids. We keep hoping that we'll see that in our kids. Is there a deep progressive sanctification when they get to the teenage years? I'm curious if you've <laughs> experienced that at all. Yeah, it may seem that way, but no, they continue. It's just you got to get through the teenage years. And then when they get in their 20s, the neat thing is how smart you become again. Ah, good. As they start to realize what life is like, <laughs> and suddenly it's like, you know, mom and dad weren't so stupid after all. Oh, what do you know? Well, I'm hoping so, for that. Just some assurance for you, encouragement uh, for you. Well, I do have a question, though, I guess, because, you know, you you probably spent a lot more years as far as sharing the gospel and having these conversations. Is Is this maybe why, and maybe I'm off base here, but why man and really the heart of man really desires the works-based system, because like, we just can't really wrap our mind around, you've already been sanctified. God has already covered you with the blood of Christ. You're sanctified. And in our minds, like, no, no, I have to earn it. I've done too much. I've got to earn this. I don't know if that's something you've come across where they like the works or they want. Yeah. Because think about what was the fall all about? It was about our pride, right? It was our selfishness. And that's the curse. That's the, the sin nature is that pride and selfishness. And so we want to praise what we do. We love, I mean, every person loves praising their own works. Yeah. Right? Because that's the sinful nature. And so there's two aspects to it when it comes to regeneration, I think. One is we love to think we're good and we could do good. And two, we know we can't keep God's standard. And therefore, keeping a man-made works-based standard is something we can actually do. And so I think that the purpose of the law was to, to reveal that we couldn't keep it. And people turn that into saying, see, this is something we can keep. We'll just tweak <laughs> it a little here and tweak it there. And then we get something we can keep. That's really what I think is it ends up happening. So yeah. And not only there, but let's talk before we even read this, and we're going to talk about progressive sanctification, but the confusion that we are going to cover in this episode is the confusion people have with progressive sanctification, where they make it a works-based sanctification. So just like you have a works-based righteousness or works-based salvation for regeneration, we could do this with our sanctification. Let me give you some, some ways this works out. And 
I'm going to say this. And folks, if you're listening and going, ouch, that hurts, I'm going to tell you just things that I have thought. So if this happens to be like, wow, he's speaking right to me. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm speaking to me and you're just listening in. Okay. So these are things I've had happen. I've had times where I might have a bad day. Whatever happens, I'm just having a bad day and I go, oh, it's because I didn't start my day reading my devotions. I didn't start reading the Bible. That's why my day is bad. Or I have a really good day and I think it's because I did my devotions first thing this morning. Where I, you know, <laughs> things are going well and I go, oh, it's because I, I had a good long time in prayer today. These are all works based sanctifications. When we think that somehow our day is based upon, how good we are spiritually. Like if we do good works, then we're going to be rewarded with a good day. That's just not the way it works, folks. Sometimes God brings things in our lives to sanctify us. And even though they're painful, they help us. Right. And so that's the hard reality that we don't like to think about is the fact that our sanctification is going to be something that it's not a do reward type system. Yeah. Is that like where we think we're in control of our sanctification in a sense? Yeah. Yeah. Cause I totally get what you were talking about. <laughs> Doesn't that just get us right back to our own pride and selfishness and, Oh, look what I did. I had a good day. And it, so if I do spiritual good things, then we end up thinking, well, God's got to reward me somehow. Yeah, that could be the advice we end up giving people, which is the wrong advice. Like, well, you're you're so negative. Maybe you need to start out reading your Bible in the morning, or then you'll overcome. But yeah, I see what you mean about you know work. If it sounds like word of faith, it is. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking as you were talking. I mean, is that not exactly what word of faith is all about? Sow a seed, reap a reward. And that has influenced even conservative Christianity. Mm -hmm. And people don't think about that. Yeah. And you may be getting into this later on, and I don't want to get us too far off track from actually getting into the statement here, but uh, maybe if you could explain for those who probably you know haven't gone back and listened to the superintending episode on how- Wait, 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 wait. There's someone that didn't listen to that one? I know. Shame <laughs> on them. Shame on them. They will do their penance later. Penance is a perfect example of what we're talking about, is it not? It's exactly right. When I first got saved, I used to, when I did something bad, when I first became a believer, okay, I remember I would watch an R-rated movie and see things I shouldn't have seen, and then I would purposely not eat the next day as if I'm penance. I'm making up for what I did bad the night before, or, you know, I, whatever this, I lie, whatever it is. And I would like do something to punish myself. That's exactly what we're talking about here. When we talk about a works-based sanctification that somehow if we do something bad, we got to punish ourselves to make up for it. Then we'll be spiritually good. No, that's not the way it works. And we're going to talk about how it works, but go continue. I, I interrupted you. I was just going to see if maybe you wanted to cover briefly, because we talked about it a little bit in the previous episode, how your sanctification is, it's really just the Holy Spirit working through you. That's really your doctrine of superintending that 
he's not only saving you and justifying you, but he's working sanctification through you. So if maybe just a Cliff Notes version of that, and then if you wanted to, just to reset it. Because the repetition is not bad. Actually, I, I'm down here in Florida, January 1st, great way to start the new year. I preached at uh, Beulah Baptist Church with Pastor Casey Butner on the topic of superintending. He wanted me to cover the issue of salvation and how to resolve the God's sovereignty, human responsibility. And so that really, a lot of people came up and was like, that's really clarifying. Now, the people who had struggles with that doctrine of superintending being applied to regeneration are people who had strong views either way Hmm. and theologically, and they were struggling because this is what they've always believed. So that is where the people that struggle, but what the idea of superintending, this doctrine of superintending, where we see this play out is the fact that we see God's sovereignty, Romans chapter nine, that God saves us. We see human responsibility, Romans chapter 10, that we choose God. We repent and believe, we we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart and we'll be saved. How do we reconcile those? The way we do that is to step back and understand this doctrine of superintending, which is the idea that when we have the writing of Scripture, God works through the human authors such that every word, every letter they chose is exactly as God intended it to be. So we call it God's word. We don't call it man's word. Why? Because men could not have written what they wrote without God working through them. So God gets all the credit. So we see that in inspiration of scripture, no one has an issue with it. We see this in sanctification, as we're going to look through it in this episode, is the fact that God works through the human authors such that as we end up doing good works, we choose to do good works. That's a choice we make. Yet we couldn't make that choice if God wasn't working through us to make that choice with us. And therefore, God gets all the credit. Mm-hmm. Well, the same thing is true here. It's also true in regeneration. So did I choose God? Yes. Did God choose me? Yes. He worked through me so that the choice that I made is exactly as God intended it to be. And God gets all the credit. Mm-hmm. Right. I can't take credit for the choice. And where you have the problems on both sides is where you have people that say, well, you couldn't believe unless God made you believe, and therefore that becomes determinism, where God's forcing our belief, and people go, oh, he's doing it against your will. But the other side is that we're choosing apart from God doing any work, and that's just as dangerous because that's saying that God is sitting back like, okay, I'm just hoping that Andrew believes in me. I died on the cross, but uh, I, I don't know if he's going to do it, like as if he's not in control. No. He's in perfect control. He knows what he's doing. Yeah. And that's one of the things, just the sovereignty of God and salvation and him getting all the glory. That's what was so important to me when I was learning, you know, coming out of the Armenian. I didn't even know what Armenian meant. I was like, oh, that's what I believed all these years. I didn't know there was a word for that. But that was so important to me that that God is God. Like to think that he's not sovereign over salvation that's frightening. And then you just come back to God gets all the glory. Like I can't boast in anything. That's the number one thing it comes down to is that he is God completely. 
<laughs> yes, he is. And he's sovereign. I mean, that's what makes him God. And as human beings in a sinful nature, we keep trying to take that control back. And that's why we have so much difficulty in this sanctification. And so what I'll do here, Nikki, before you read, let me start off so we don't interrupt later with a word from our sponsors so that we could read that paragraph and, and work through it. This show is sponsored by My Pillow, a great company, American-made company that makes their products here in America. And so pillows, robes, slippers, towels, mattress top, and they got a ton of products. They even have clothing, they have pajamas, things like that. And you can get all of that at a great discount using the promo code SFE. That stands for Striving for Eternity. That gets you not only a discount there, but lets them know that you heard about them from us. Another sponsor of the show is Logos Bible Software. I am a big time user of Logos. Now, I know that Spencer and Nikki have it as well. We're not going to do a comparison of libraries because I have been working on my library, well, probably longer than they've been alive. I don't know, but <laughs> close to. <laughs> so let's just get myself in trouble. So I started my library in 1994. How old were you guys in 1994? Well, I was nine years old in 1994, but I will say I might rival you only because my Logos library only consists of the Master Seminary Library. So they've given me hundreds and hundreds of resources. So I have access to a lot only because John MacArthur is a faithful man of God. <laughs> <laughs> this is a bad story. But it's kind of funny for the listening audience. I, I had a pastor friend of mine, and I was meeting someone who's going to be my new pastor. And we were at the Shepherds Conference. And I didn't realize that my friend, he knew both of us. And we get there, and this guy who's going to be my future pastor is bragging about his Lagos library. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, I have 5,000 books in Lagos. I kind of just kept my mouth shut and smirked. You know, I mean, this is going to be my pastor. I, I don't want to embarrass him or anything. But my friend didn't mind embarrassing him. So he goes, you call that a library? Andrew, what's a library? And I'm just like, no, I, I, you know, I don't want to say. And so now the, my new future pastor looks at me and says, well, how many books do you have? And I'm like sheepishly going, 50,000. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you still got me by a mile. Yeah. And, and he was like, <laughs> yeah. So I've been working on my library for a very long time, but I, I love Lagos. It is a very good tool to dig into studying scripture. And if you want to get an upgrade to Lagos 10 or get Lagos on your own, just go to logos.com slash SFE. That's L-O-G-O-S dot com slash SFE for striving for eternity. So with that, let's dive into our doctrinal statement. We've given everybody plenty of time to go to strivingfraternity.org, go to the about section, what we believe, scrolling down to soteriology, expanding that, and then get into the section on soteriology. And now that we're at that section, I'm going to ask Nikki if you wouldn't mind just reading the second paragraph there. There's also, by the work of the Holy Spirit, a progressive sanctification by which the state of the believer is brought closer to the standing the believer positionally enjoys through justification. 
Through obedience to the word of God and by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, the believer is able to live life of increasing holiness in conformity to the will of God, becoming more and more like our Lord Jesus Christ. In this respect, every saved person is involved in a daily conflict, the new creation in Christ doing battle against the flesh. But adequate provision is made for victory through the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. This struggle, nevertheless, stays with the believer and is never completely ended throughout this earthly life. All claims to the eradication of sin in this life are unscriptural. Eradication of sin is not possible, but the Holy Spirit does provide for victory over sin. Okay. So to pick up where we left off last week, we started to talk about this idea of positional and progressive sanctification. Now, the position, positionally before God, we are holy. We are saints. We're righteous. We're perfect. We have the righteousness of Christ. We don't experience that now, but that's what we have. And so the progressive sanctification is we're basically, we're trying to match our experiential life with our positional life, right? We're trying to match the holiness that we have in Christ, but, you know, positionally with our experience, when we're trying to be made more and more holy, that's the goal. And so we say here in this next sentence in the paragraph, through obedience to the word of God and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And this is where we left off last week. So we're going to pick up right here. These are the two things that God has given you, believer, for your sanctification. He has given us his word as an absolute standard, a way that we could objectively study to know everything we need to know for faith and practice. Notice what I said there. And we've covered this in this when we went over the section on the Bible, on the word of God. The Bible doesn't tell us everything there is to know in the world. The Bible tells us everything we need to know for faith and practice. There's nothing more that we need. So you don't need to hear from God. You don't need some nudging. You don't need a voice. You don't need a vision. You don't need a dream. Everything that you and I need for faith and practice, we have in the Word of God. And God gave us something else. The second thing that we're saying here is God gave us the Holy Spirit himself who indwells us and empowers us. That is part of the sanctification. When we submit to the Holy Spirit, and not try to fight in our own pride to take control. When we submit, we do good things, right? Because the empowering Holy Spirit is going to take over. So that when we obey the Spirit, when we obey the Word, that is going to be when we, in this progressive sanctification, are growing. As I was reading, well, one of the verses you have from the positional sanctification, though, 1 Corinthians 1, 2, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. So he's just saying that they are sanctified, but he goes on later, he tells them that they are still carnal and there's envy, strife, divisions among them. And then in chapter five, you know, he says there are sexually immoral people among you and you aren't even mourning about that. You are, you're puffed up. And then another correction, you know, they even cheat their own brethren. So just, even though they have 
things that he has to correct them about, he still addresses the letter. They are sanctified, but it just gives you encouragement that they, they're called sanctified saints and holy. And, you know, we can relate to that. That's just encouraging. That like every every chapter of First <laughs> Corinthians is like, let me correct this and this and this and this. And yes. this. Like, you get done with First Corinthians. Go. Was there anything good that comes out of Corinth? No. I mean, <laughs> but, I mean, it is. It seems that way. And so, yeah, this is the whole thing: is that when we look at someone, whoever your hero in the faith is, other than Jesus Christ, because he doesn't have the faith that we have. He's perfect. Whether it's Paul, Augustine, you know, George Mueller, George Whitfield, you know, John Huss, I mean, just whoever, right? Martin Luther. Think of all the different people that we could look at and be like, wow, that's a great man or a great woman of God. They battled with the same sanctification you and I are. Right. And so if you look at them and go, man, they're a great person of faith. You could be too. In fact, what a very few people know about George Mueller, because they kind of skipped this in his autobiography, he gives a reason why he wrote his autobiography. He actually gives a reason why he had orphanages. And the reason is he decided as a young man, he was going to submit to the spirit and he was going to trust the Lord in little things knowing those little things would grow to bigger things. And the reason he started an orphanage is because he said, what way could he show God's glory the best? And he decided having an orphanage at that time when no one was caring for the orphans. And that would be a great way, having no money, no means, just doing the orphanage and trusting God and and force him to have to put faith in God and trust him at every step. And so Mueller says in his autobiography, he's not some great man of faith. He's not anything special. He's a man who trusted God step by step, taking one step of faith at a time, and they each got bigger. And when you when you do that, and then you look back at your life, it's like, wow, like such big steps of faith. But we don't see those steps because each of those steps are small when we're taking them. That's what Mueller wanted to convey to people. So when people look up to Mueller, Mueller would say, don't look up to me, do the same. And that's really what sanctification is. It's to read the Bible, to study it, to know it, to be obedient to it, and to be obedient to the empowering of the Holy Spirit. What happens when we do that? Well, the statement goes on to say... The believer is able to live a life of increasing holiness. The more that we submit ourselves to God's word and the Holy Spirit, the more that we will increase in holiness. Mm -hmm. That's the whole thing. We all want that holiness. We just don't like the work of the holiness. Look, I'm down here in Orlando, Florida, this past weekend, Everyone was had been doing the marathon. So they had a half marathon on Saturday, a marathon on Sunday. And everyone that I was talking to here at, at where I'm staying, they've all ran it. They either did one, the half marathon, or they were training for the, the marathon the next day. It was, was kind of like one or the other. And it gave a great opportunity for me to talk with folks as I share the gospel and even to a couple of believers that we got to speak to. 
and some believers who had been struggling because, as one gentleman said, he's a wayward believer. He he knew he should be doing more, but he really isn't living right. And he's struggling with his sanctification. And I could turn and say, well, you know, you don't just wake up and run a marathon. Some people do. Okay. So there are some freaks in nature. They could just do that. <laughs> The real marathon is not run on the day of the marathon. The real marathon is run the weeks before in the training. Because if you don't do the training, you're going to have a real hard time if you even can finish the marathon. Mm. And that's the sanctification process. It's a marathon. It's a long distance run where we have to just put one foot in front of the other. That's how you run a marathon. One step at a time with the eye on the goal. And you and I as believers need to take that same attitude with our sanctification, one foot in front of the other, step by step with our eye on the goal. What's the goal for us? Glorification, being with Christ and being in a perfect state, not only positionally, but progressively. We'll be instantly made glorified. That's the goal. If that's your mindset, these little steps, yeah, they're painful and they hurt. And you want to quit, but you keep reaching for the goal. And the more that we're obedient to God's word and empowering of the Holy Spirit, the increasing nature we're going to have of holiness in our life. Yeah, I was curious about that, you know, as far as, and I guess, you know, the racing analogy is a perfect one, as far as, you know, kind of practical, you know, I think it's Dave Ramsey has his baby steps, practical ways that the believer can live or act or the things they should be doing to have obedience to the word, empowerment of the Holy Spirit working through them and increasing in this life of holiness. You know, we've talked on our show, the stats are increasing where I think it's over 60% of Christians now say going to church online is just as good as going to church in person. You know, they don't read their Bibles anymore. So like, what are practical steps that someone that's like, I want to be sanctified. So what should my life begin to start looking like? Mm -hmm. Okay. Read the Bible. Like, what does that mean? Should I be going to church? I mean, what should I be doing to increase in holiness? You know, I don't want to sound like a Sunday school answer, but read your Bible and pray. I mean, really, that is the answer though, right? You know, Ray Comfort always will tell people, you know, do you have a Bible? And they say, yes, read it and obey what it says. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. Now, it doesn't mean you obey the things that it says are wrong. It's not like, oh, well, David had multiple wives. I could have multiple wives. No, 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 no. <laughs> it condemns that behavior. But you look for the things to put on and the things to put off from Scripture. You know, that's what obedience to Scripture looks like. It really comes down to just every decision we make, trying to say, is this what the Lord wants me to do? Let me look in Scripture and see if this is the right decision to make. And the more that we submit to God, the more we're going to be conformed, not only increasing holiness, but we're also going to have conformity to His will. And so those decisions we make, the more we submit to his word and the Holy Spirit, the more the decisions we make will match what his will is. And that's why we say a life of increasing holiness in conformity to the will of God. Yeah, and I think that's something you hear a lot with people that give pushback on the Christian faith or those that aren't believers yet is there's too many rules, too many restrictions, you know. I can't do the things I want to do. And when you try to impress on them that you won't want to do the sinful things as much anymore, the the 
things you consider rules and restrictions now will become joyful. Mm. You know, they'll become freeing when you actually adhere to it and you love what he loves and you hate what he hates. Mm -hmm. Yes. And the reality is those sins we struggle with become easier to battle them the more that we are working in our progressive sanctification, the more we're being obedient to these two things, the easier it is to fend off the temptations that we have because we're better prepared for it. And that's what it means when we say here, becoming more and more like our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the goal of our sanctification. And that's what we're working toward. You know, when I was reading um, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, 10 or 11, well, he's talking about who's not going to inherit the kingdom of God, either fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, covetous, drunkards, the list goes on. They won't inherit the kingdom of God. And he says, and such were some of you, you were washed and sanctified. So those things you would say, like, if you are sanctified, you definitely won't partake in any of that anymore. Are there certain sins you definitely, God won't allow you to partake in anymore, I guess would be question. Someone might have, or I kind of have, I guess. Well, okay. When we say that he won't allow, he can interrupt things. Yeah. I just recently, my bride and I were talking because in my devotions, I'm in Genesis at the beginning of the year. And I was just like, I cannot believe that I just... I've been thinking about this for the past couple of days, and I can't conceive Abraham, the guy everyone says a great man of faith. Abraham goes to these towns and says to his wife, hey, you pretend like you're my sister. I mean, you are my sister because we share the same one, their stepbrother, stepsister. I'm going like, what was Abraham thinking? Like, what did he think was going to happen when this woman who must have been really good looking, because after childbearing years, he knows people might want to kill him to marry her. She's taken into a harem twice. What in the world is wrong with you that you're going to let someone else sleep with your wife? Like I'm reading this. I just want to smack Abraham upside the head. Okay. (laughs) But on the second time that Abraham allows this to happen, God intervenes and God gives a warning to say, Hey, that's a married woman. And the guy is okay. Okay. I didn't touch her, but God had to intervene in that case. So yes, could God do that? Maybe he did for Abraham. Is he going to regularly do that? We don't know. I do think there's some things God works on us so that there's certain sins that we may have dealt with prior to being saved. I think I shared this last episode. When I got saved, my foul mouth changed immediately. I've never struggled with foul language ever since I got saved. doesn't mean that I can't in the future. It just hasn't been an issue. Hmm. But there's other things that have been. Why did God decide to clean that up and and not other things? I don't know, mm. right? But he did. And so I do think that there's there's going to be some things that he helps us right away with. And I, I think, and it's just my personal opinion, I can't support this in scripture. Maybe someone else can. I think that God gives all believers something that he changes quickly so that we can see that those things that he allows for us to deal with that take a longer time, we can know, I have something I can look to and say, I can see that I'm saved because look at this quick change in my life that God did. Yeah, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. I can't prove it in scripture, 
And it's one of the questions I'll ask Jesus when I see him. And hey, is this theory right? And I'll be like, he'll just look at me and go, no, Andrew, it's with many other things you've had wrong. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it sounded good at the time. It made sense then. <laughs> yeah. So let's look at this next sentence we have here. It's, we say, in this respect, every saved person is involved in daily conflict. Okay. Mm-hmm. So. When we talk about this daily conflict, this is not Romans 7. I know I'm hearing it. (laughs) I can hear you guys when you're listening. I hear you going, what are you talking about? This is exactly Romans 7. It is not Romans 7. The reason I say it's not Romans 7 is because Romans 7, if you look in the Greek, we don't have it as clear in the English, but if you look in the Greek, in the middle of Romans 7, Paul starts using past tense verbs. Hmm. And so what Paul is doing there when he talks about the law is talking about his conversion experience and how the law showed him what he used to say was okay is now not okay. And it showed him that his flesh wanted to fight against the law. And so this is what was the battle. It was the battle that he had coming to conversion. It's the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. And then as soon as he says, oh, what wretched man I am, he goes back to present tense. Now, when he says in there, the things I don't want to do, I do, and the things I do want to do, I don't do, that sounds an awful lot like our sanctification process. And the problem is, we don't want to allow our experience to interpret scripture. Hmm even though it sounds a lot like our progressive sanctification process, if it's not that, we shouldn't say that it is. Okay, so is there a passage that we can turn to that is our sanctification process? You know, Nikki, I am so glad you asked that question. <laughs> there is. It is 1 Peter chapter 2, 11 and following, where he talks about the warring that goes on with his flesh, because that is the battle between the flesh and the spirit. And that is more what we see when we think of the sanctification process. It's the first Peter two. That's the battle. And he calls it a war. That is sanctification. It's a war. And I guess, you know, for those who, again, I I kind of relate a lot of this to the jail ministry because they bring this stuff up all the time and they talk about their struggles with sin and how that to them leads them to think that, well, maybe I'm not saved. Whereas maybe, you know, what you're saying in that struggle, the fact that we're aware of the struggle and we're actually fighting should be that indication that we no longer just completely give over to the sinful desires. You know, we now have the spirit in us that's pointing that this isn't the way you should live anymore. So now you're at that conflict point. Mm -hmm. So that's a good sign. That's right. If if there's no conflict, you should be concerned. And that's why we say that in this respect, every saved person is involved in a daily conflict. The new creation in Christ doing battle against the flesh. The fact that we're a new creation is why we're at war with our flesh, the world, and demons. And it's in that order on a purpose. Because the greatest struggle is not demons. Satan is not fighting you. I was at church Wednesday night and I was teaching some of the folks. And one of the things I said is someone made the comment, referred to the enemy. 
that they were out evangelizing and the enemy. I said, stop, it's the enemies. And they just looked at me and I said, yes, Satan is not everywhere present, all knowing he, he wants to be God, but he's not God. <laughs> he's one being in one place at one time and has a finite knowledge. He had the whole world to corrupt and he picked you on a Wednesday yeah. <laughs> in Topeka, Kansas or wherever. Yeah. But that's the way so many people speak. And the reality is, is that especially if you, if a word of faith, you end up hearing so many of them, it's like, if you have an alcohol problem, it's because you have a demon of alcohol. No, yeah. you're not submitting to the spirit. You're submitting to the flesh. That's why you have an alcohol problem. Same thing with pornography, same thing with lying, same thing with gossiping, whatever the sin. It's the same thing. If you give up the fight, I always think of it this way. If you're in a stream with a very strong current and you have one of two choices, you can go with the flow. Just let the river take you downstream. That's the world. Or you can make the decision to fight that stream and go uphill. But I got news for you, Christian. Every time you decide to give up, you're tired. The stream is just going to push you back down. You can never give up the battle. You can never give up the fight for holiness. It is a never-ending battle until the day we die. Mm -hmm. Because the moment you say, oh, I'm tired, and you pick your feet up from that stream, the stream just takes you downhill. And now, going back to that place you were just at, oh, it's twice as hard. Mm -hmm. You know why it's twice as hard? Because you have to not only fight the stream, but you're fighting the stream going, I was already here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're fighting the battle and the disheartening feeling of giving up and, mm -hmm. you know. And that's why this battle doesn't stop. It's a daily conflict. But notice what we say here. But adequate provision is made for victory. Well, how's it made? How do we have victory? Through the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. This is the essential element of our sanctification. The Holy Spirit indwelling us. That's how we can have victory. We have victory in him. And so we say, the struggle nevertheless stays with the believer and is never completely ended through this earthly life. This is what I was trying to say. This is a battle. This is a war we have every day. Spencer, you're in the military. You go to, to war. You're behind enemy lines. They're looking for you. Can you just go, well, you know what? I'm a little tired. I'm going to kick my feet up and I'm being chased by the enemy, but I'm just going to kick my feet up in, in a foxhole and just take a little nap for a while and rest and have a siesta. Maybe the Hanoi Hilton isn't that bad this time of year. Maybe they have good food. <laughs> they never have good food. Yeah. It's terrible. You always have to stay ahead of in a war, right? If you're behind enemy lines, you got to stay ahead of the enemy. Mm -hmm. Well, in our case, the enemy is us. It's our flesh. <laughs> it's with us 24-7. A great book to read on this topic would be John Owen's books. He has got two books on the indwelling sin and mortification of sin. If you have read John Owen's, you go, oh, but John Owen's is really hard to read. I was laughing. I was thinking, telling someone like, a good book on this is John Owen. That's like saying, a good workout routine is a marathon. Like, well, well yeah. sure. <laughs> so then, you know, if that's too hard, let me make it easier for you because Chris Lungarner has written a Cliff Notes version of those two volumes now called you're The Enemy Within. 
So just get that. It's a Cliff Notes version. It's only about 200 pages and much easier to read. And that's where I stole the illustration with the stream <laughs> because it really does depict well what our sanctification life is like. We're going to battle every minute of every day. We can never stop. We can never give in because if we give in to, to the flesh, it's just going to take us downhill. And now we get a fight to get back to where we were in our sanctification. Well, and I'll give another shameless plug to your episode on superintending, but that's why the doctrine is so uplifting to know that, I mean, in your statement here has it as well, you know, adequate provision is made for victory mm -hmm. through the power of the Holy Spirit. Because again, he is the one working the sanctification in you, mm -hmm. right? So it's hopeful, you know? Yeah, it's struggling, but the Holy Spirit's really good at his job. The hope comes in the reminding of ourselves that we are positionally holy, sanctified, righteous in Christ. That's where it comes from. So can we have victory? Yes, we will have victory. That's why we mention in here the new creation that reminds us we are not who we were. We are something new, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And that's why we, we end up saying here, the struggle nevertheless stays with the believer, right? We deal with it every day. It doesn't end. However, there's something we end up having to deal with. We've mentioned this before, and we have this in the next part of this doctrinal statement. All claims to eradicate sin in this life are unscriptural. Now, this is the doctrine that's known as sinless perfectionism, and there are those who believe they are sinlessly perfect. They do not sin in this life anymore. In fact, they say, if you sin, you're not saved. That is the mark of, they'll argue, of a believer is that they're sinless. And the only passages that they can argue, realistically, they talk about the passages speak about overcoming in Revelation and elsewhere, of overcoming sin. It doesn't say you will overcome it in this life. It means we will overcome it one day. But the big passage where they go to is 1 John, the book of 1 John. That's where they get all this doctrine. So let me just so you prepared in case you run into someone like this. The book of 1 John is dealing with these Gnostics that argued that they could be sinless, not sin, when they go and sleep with a prostitute. They literally would say that everything physical is evil and everything spiritual is godly. So they would sleep with a prostitute, and as long as they didn't give their spirit over to it, it wasn't sin. Mm. And so they would justify all kinds of sins, including something as perverse as that. And they would justify it saying, well, but I haven't given my spirit over to it, so that therefore it's not sin. And so what you end up seeing with First John is John is answering these Gnostics by the pattern of life and saying, if you sin, you're not saved. He's not saying if you do any sin. He's saying to, specifically to people like Gnostics who are justifying sin. And by the way, that's the same thing sinless perfectionists do. They justify their sin of pride and things like that. Oh, it's not willful. I lied, but it wasn't willful. So it's not a sin. Yes, it is. And I was just thinking on like, we're told not to be a stumbling block to other believers and you doing that, but you're saying it's not sin for me, but if you do it as a new believer, it's sin for you. Like, 
I don't know. How do they? Well, I would say even telling someone they can be sinless is a stumbling block to a new believer. I mean, what a high bar to set. That just seems hard to, I don't know. How do you convince someone of that doctrine? I don't get it. (laughs) Well, I don't know. Yeah. The very next sentence is what we'd end up saying, right? Or the eradication of sin is not possible but the Holy Spirit does provide victory over sin. So we get small victories. In 1 John, he says, if you say you do not sin, you make God a liar. Mm-hmm. He tells us we should confess our sin. Well, that would be a useless thing to confess our sin if we are not sinning. Now, what people try to argue, they try to go, well, he's saying confess your sin because that's regeneration. No, 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 no. He's writing this to people that profess to be believers. So he's telling them, confess their sin, and God will be quick to forgive you. But he says, if you say you have no sin, you make God a liar. Yikes. Don't want to be in that state. But notice how we're saying in this statement, we're ending this section by still on the positive, that there is victory over sin. Don't give up, believer. Don't think there's no way you can have victory. You can have victory is it easy? Nope. Can you have victory? Yep. But it comes through individual small steps. And over time, they add to big steps. So that's what we cover for this week. This kind of wraps up the doctrine of sanctification. And if you do have more questions, feel free to reach out to us, info at strivingforeternity.com info at strivingforeternity.com. You can get a hold of us there. Next week, we're going to deal with the topic of security. This is what we talk about when we talk about, can we lose our salvation? That's what we have to look forward to next week. Now, let me just real quickly give you guys a rundown of where I'm going to be the next few weeks in case you want to come and hear me speak. I'm going to be speaking at the Open Air Theology Conference that will be held in, oh, I forget the town. Just do a DuckDuckGo search. Don't use Google. Uh, Do a (laughs) DuckDuckGo search on Open Air Theology Conference. If I think I fly into, uh, I forget, BNA, and I don't remember what BNA. Oklahoma. Does that sound right? That's a city. What's the state? Tennessee. Tennessee. That's right. That's it. That's it. That'll be in Tennessee. That's going to be on February 17th and 18th. They're going to end that conference with a debate that James White is going to have on the Legacy Standard Bible versus King James Bible. Ooh, that's good. (laughs) Yeah. After that, I head right from there, February 20th to March 5th. I'll be in Israel leading a tour there. I will then come back from there and turn right around and head out to LA to Shepherd's Conference. So if you're out at Shepherd's Conference, come find me, say hello. If you're a listener, let me know that. That is hugely encouraging to me when people come up and tell me that they listen to the podcast. March 17th to the 19th, we will be out in, let's see, this is a fly into Indiana. I really should get put the cities into into these. There's a family conference out there. If you're in the Indianapolis, Indiana area, it's a, th- a couple of hours from there, but you can email us, info at strivingfraternity.org, and I'll get you the information on that conference. That's a family conference. 
that I will be speaking. I, I believe I'm doing all the speaking. The topics are Friday evening, I'm going to cover the marriage relationship. Saturday morning, the role of the husband and the role of the wife. After lunch, the topic is child rearing. Then we're going to have a Saturday evening. The conference is going to close after that, but we're going to do a special session on the Christian and political activism. And then I'll be preaching there Sunday morning. I haven't seen the details yet, but April 1st and 2nd, I will be at the South Texas Bible Conference. I don't think they've set the website up for that yet. That is coming as well. And then the Reforming Families Conference will be the end of April, April 29th to the 30th. Several speakers for there, Dr. Anthony Silvestro will be speaking with me. That also is in the either Indianapolis or Illinois, I forget which two. And so that schedule is starting to be worked out as well. So those are just some of the speaking events we have. If you'd like to have one of us come to your church and speak, we'd be happy to do it. Just contact us at speaker, speaker at strivingforeternity.com. And we'll come to your church and do one of our many seminars. And some of those seminars are on our website at strivingforeternity.org. So until next week, that's a wrap. This podcast is part of the Striving for Eternity ministry. For more content or to request a speaker or seminar to your church, go to strivingforeternity.org.